The scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. You'll find that in the Black Pew Bible on page 809, 809. We're continuing the mini-series, Glimpses of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've come to the point in Matthew known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7. We will not do an exposition of the uh, entire Sermon on the Mount. This morning we are going to look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are so named, Beatitudes, because the first word you will see in each one of them is the word blessed, which in the Latin is the word beatus. Um, and so in the history of the church, the, this portion of scripture came to be called the Beatitudes, the, the, the blessings. These are the blessings of the kingdom which uh, Jesus is proclaiming to those who are ready to receive them. Uh, these are the blessings of the kingdom for those who are ready to receive Jesus Christ and to live in his way. And so let us ask the Lord, the Son of God, who spoke these words in history, uh, now to speak them afresh to us by the power of his Spirit and grant us grace to believe them and to receive them and ask for his power through them to transform our lives. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, be our teacher this morning, we pray. Come to us now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Grant us the grace to sit at your feet. Speak to your word to us by the power of your Spirit. That the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart may change our lives. Convict, convert, consecrate us by your word that we may live more faithfully as your disciples, children of the Father, to the glory of his name. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. I am going to read only uh, verses... Uh, 1 through 13, we're not continue. I'm sorry, 1 through 12, not going to continue with 13 through 16. I was going to try to combine, since I, we, we lost, I wasn't here last Sunday due to our move, I was going to try to combine two passages into one, but I figured that you probably didn't want to stay till 2 o'clock, so um, I've omitted that last, that last piece. So we're going to just stay with the Beatitudes. Um, I'm, I would invite you to uh, keep your Bible open. And uh, as we move through the Beatitudes, one after the other, I want you to think about them as pearls on a string. Pearls not simply isolated, but I hope that you'll see that there is, there is a kind of flow that runs through them as, as we read and hear the word. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and to His name be all praise, honor, and glory, now and forever. Amen. The Beatitudes may really surprise us if we're honest, and I think that we ought to be honest about it. Jesus called these people blessed, or He said that they shall be blessed. Now, would we say that? Uh, The word blessed can be translated happy. Of course, meaning happy in the fullest sense of the word. But, but would we call these happy, the poor in spirit? Does that sound blessed? Those who mourn? Now that would seem to be a, a contradiction, wouldn't it? The meek? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? What about those who are persecuted for righteousness sake? How could those who are persecuted be called blessed? Well, in the Beatitudes, Jesus defines the terms of his kingdom. And he pronounces these blessings upon those who are ready to receive him and ready to receive his kingdom and live in the way of his kingdom on his terms because he is the king. And the first Beatitude Blessed are those are the poor in spirit. It, this one sets the tone for all of the Beatitudes. It's at the top of the list, and I think it, it continues to run through them all. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, first of all, let's be clear about what it does not mean. To be poor in spirit does not mean to be a dispirited person, a chronically discouraged person with a negative outlook on life, a glass half-empty kind of person. It doesn't mean that. And nor does it mean that you're a person of low self-esteem, you consider yourself to be a person of little worth to anyone or little value to anything, a kind of victimized, doormat personality. doesn't mean that either. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who know in the depths of their soul that they are absolutely dependent upon God. Absolutely dependent upon the grace and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The poor in spirit know that they are not self-sufficient. Not self-sufficient. They cannot make it on their own. 
And that includes not only our our dependence upon God for our physical and material well-being in this world, but especially our absolute dependence upon God's grace for our spiritual well-being. The poor in spirit know that they have nothing to say for themselves to God, know that they have nothing to show for themselves in order to prove themselves to God or in order to earn His favor. The poor in spirit know that they have nothing to boast about before God. And so you see, the opposite of being poor in spirit is self-righteous spiritual pride. The opposite of being poor in spirit is arrogant Self-sufficiency, the the illusion or delusion of self-sufficiency and the arrogance that goes with that. Listen to, to, to this inflection. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the kingdom of heaven does not belong to people who think that they deserve it. There it is. The kingdom of heaven does not belong to people who think They deserve it. The kingdom of heaven does not belong to people who think that they are good enough. That they are spiritual enough. That they are upstanding and respectable enough to lay claim to the kingdom. This corresponds perfectly with the heart of the gospel message. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if you think that you don't need the physician of souls, if you think that you don't need Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you think that you can stand on your own before the throne of God the Father without Christ as your Savior, If you think that your efforts to live a nice, decent, respectable life will earn you a place in the kingdom of heaven, if you think that you are self-sufficient for life in this world and the next, think again. Which, by the way, is another way of saying repent. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, that sounds very strange, doesn't it? But let's say what it does not mean. It does not mean that it's a good thing for something bad to happen that makes you sad. It doesn't mean that we should be happy because we have something to mourn. Of course, it doesn't mean that. But think of it this way, pearls on a string, when we are poor in spirit, when we have that keen sense that we're absolutely dependent upon the goodness and grace and mercy of God, and when we've experienced God's grace in our lives, when we know that, well, we will be keenly aware of all that's wrong with us and all that's wrong with the world. If we are poor in spirit, we will see the reality of sin in our lives. We will see how far we fall short of the glory of God. We will see the ways in which our sins have hurt others and hurt ourselves. And we will mourn over our sins. If we are poor in spirit, we will see the ways in which sin has brought 
so much pain and suffering into the world around us. We will see the wrongs and the injustices in the world. A world that has gone wrong in rebellion against God. And we will, we will mourn over people gunned down by tyrants and unborn children thrown into dumpsters and hundreds of thousands of people living in unsanitary hovels around the world. And we will mourn. We will mourn for this world corrupted by sin if we are people of Jesus' kingdom. In other words, those who mourn are people who care for Jesus' sake. Those who mourn weep with those who weep. They're willing to bear another's burden. They're willing to enter into and share the pain of another for the sake of sharing the love of Christ. They mourn. Because they love. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These are the kingdom people. And they will be comforted. They shall be comforted in that everlasting kingdom of Christ in which there shall be, listen, no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. That's the vision given to us in Revelation 21. Those who mourn now over the way the world is will mourn no more in that everlasting kingdom. But the opposite, those who say, let us eat and drink, tomorrow we die. They will indeed die, and they will die forever, and they will then forever mourn their sins, but never be comforted. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, are also the meek, those who do not put themselves first by power or privilege. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this is almost a direct quotation of Psalm 37, verse 11, and other verses in Psalm 37, which says, The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And in that context of Psalm 37, the meek are contrasted with the wicked and the evildoers. Again, I'm quoting, I'm referring to Psalm 37 which reminds us that though the wicked and the evildoers may prosper for a while and may for a time get ahead in this world, nevertheless their time is coming, the evildoers shall be cut off. And in just a little while, says Psalm 37, the wicked will be no more, but the meek shall inherit the land. The, the meek. Wait patiently in faith for God's blessing. Therefore, you see, weakness, meekness, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, true meekness is a very powerful force. It is a calm, gentle, humble spirit which trusts in the Lord and therefore receives strength from the Lord. 
the meek person knows that he or she is completely secure in the Lord. The Lord will protect. The Lord will provide. And therefore, the meek do not need to grab and grasp and push and pull to get their way in this world. They know that the Lord will be faithful and that in the end, they will inherit the earth. And the really interesting thing here is to note that Jesus took Psalm 37, the meek shall inherit the land, referring, in Psalm 37, that refers to the land of Israel, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant promises. The meek shall inherit the land. But Jesus took Psalm 37, 11 and expanded it to cover the whole earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. His kingdom is not limited to the land of Old Testament Israel. His kingdom is the whole earth. And the meek who trust in Him and live for His kingdom, not grabbing and grasping and pulling and pushing for all that they can get in this world, the meek who wait for the Lord have the promise that they will inherit the earth, that is, the renewed, redeemed, new creation of the everlasting kingdom of Christ, This will be the dwelling place of the meek and they will delight themselves in abundant peace. And those who are poor in spirit, who mourn over the ravages of sin in this world, who are the meek who wait in faith for the Lord, will also hunger and thirst for righteousness, for things to be set right, for wrongs to be righted, for the wicked to be cast down from power, for the innocent to be protected, for the evildoer to be punished by God. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is a yearning for God's kingdom to come in all its fullness, and that day is coming when all wrongs will be righted. Jesus Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead. And as the scripture says, with righteousness, with justice, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, if they do so for Jesus' sake, shall be satisfied. In his kingdom, all will be made right. All will be made well. But, again, thinking of the string of pearls, this kingdom, this everlasting kingdom of righteousness, is only for those who are merciful. For only the merciful Receive the mercy of God. Those who hunger, here's the trick. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness must always beware of self-righteousness. And always be aware of their own sins and their own need for God's mercy. Let me say that in a more personal way. As we hunger for and thirst for righteousness in this world, we must beware of our own self-righteousness. We must always be aware of our own sins and our own need for God's mercy. Because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. We receive the kingdom of God only by receiving the mercy of God. There is no other way. If we, miserable sinners, withhold mercy from fellow sinners, why should we expect to receive mercy from the Almighty Righteous One? Jesus was very clear as he, he is recorded in chapter 6 following the Lord's Prayer. The unforgiving remain unforgiven. The unforgiving remain unforgiven. Those who are merciful shall receive mercy because the merciful know their own need of God's mercy and the merciful are the poor in spirit who mourn over their sins. The merciful are the meek who live by the gentle strength of kindness through faith in the mercy of God even as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And the blessing of God's mercy through Christ brings the blessing of a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? If something is pure, it is unmixed, untainted. We, we speak of pure gold, pure water. Meaning that nothing else is mixed in with it. But what about a pure heart? A pure heart is a heart motivated by love for God. The pure in heart are those who sincerely, even if imperfectly, desire to please God and seek to do His will and strive to keep His law and aim to glorify His name. Now, if we're honest, we will admit that our hearts are not perfectly pure. Even our best intentions are mixed with impure motivations. That, that's, that's the reality of our struggle with sin. We're not there yet. But if we are here, here again, the, the, the string of pearls, you see, if we are poor in spirit, if we mourn because of our impure hearts, and if we hunger and thirst for righteousness in our own personal lives, if we, if we desire to grow in God's grace and live a life more pleasing to Him, and if we cast ourselves upon God's mercy because we know we need His mercy, we're absolutely dependent upon His mercy, God will be merciful to us as we seek to love Him and to love one another with a pure heart. And ultimately, the promise of the gospel is that He will grant to us that perfect purity of heart. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness and washes away every impurity. And when our life in this world and our struggle with sin is over, when we are at last finally and fully set free from sin, then by the grace and mercy of God, our hearts will be perfectly pure in the presence of His glory. And we will see God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There's a connection here too. Because purity of heart ultimately comes through the blood of Christ. And it was Christ who made peace with God for us 
by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ is the great peacemaker. He was wounded for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, says Isaiah. He is the peacemaker. So if we are his disciples, if we are trusting in him and seeking to follow him, we will seek to be peacemakers in this world. We cannot atone for anyone's sin. We cannot atone for our own sins. We cannot make peace between another person and God. But we can point them to the peacemaker. Jesus Christ. We can tell them about the one who will grant them peace with God. And we can show them the love of Christ which secures our peace with God. And whenever there is a conflict between individuals... We can seek to be a healing agent, a peacemaker, pointing people to Christ, pointing people to his mercy, pointing people to his forgiveness, his kindness, his compassion, his wisdom, his power. St. Francis's prayer is a good one for us all. Lord, let me be an instrument of thy peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, because Jesus, the Son of God, is the true peacemaker. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for those who are uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. I think this is, you know, this is one of the greatest fears we we probably have today even though we don't face uh, violent persecution in this nation. We, we, I, I, I think we, we fear far too much social ostracism or the little comments and the little barbs that people might say about us when we seek to bear witness to Christ. We don't want people to revile us. We don't want people to utter all kinds of evil against us, falsely slander us. For Jesus' sake. That's not any fun. And Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. He's he's basically saying, people make fun of you because you follow me. People say little snippy things. Because you believe my word and you seek to live according to the principles of my kingdom. Don't pay any attention to it. Rejoice, rejoice, be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, throughout history and this very day, February 27, 2011, uh, we have brothers and sisters around the globe who shed their blood and give their lives under persecution for Christ. We, we, we don't have any concept of that. Do you, you understand that? People still get killed for being believers in Jesus. It's not, that's not just the first century. That's the 21st century. The 20th century was one of the most bloody centuries of, of persecution in the history of the world. Still goes on today. Um, and, and, we, and, and we need to take that seriously 
as we consider our own commitments of faith. But the bottom line here is that Jesus says the great reward is in heaven. And, And the question is, do you believe that? We're pretty much attached to this world. I think, if we're honest, we'd, we'd say that we are. And we like our rewards in this world. Jesus says the reward is in heaven, in that kingdom which is coming. And the question is, do you believe that? And therefore, is it worth it? Is it worth it now to follow Jesus in this world, even if they kill you for it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to live the life of the kingdom? Is it worth it to live the life of the Beatitudes even in this world, even if it means people are going to say snooty little things about you, even if it means they're going to shoot you or cut off your head. Is it worth it? Now, that's really the point at which we are called to live by faith in Christ. Because although God does bless us many ways in our life in this world, and we, we have received abundant blessings from God for life in this world, The Beatitudes teach us that the fullness of blessing and the fullness of happiness will not be found in this world, but only in the everlasting kingdom of Christ. And the question is, do we believe that? The Beatitudes teach us, the whole New Testament teaches us, that no matter how we're blessed in this world, the full blessing and full happiness will not be in this world, but in the kingdom of Christ. And the only way to be truly happy in this world is to know that your true happiness is not in this world. Why are people unhappy in this world? They're unhappy. They're unhappy in this world because this world isn't giving them all the happiness they want. So they're unhappy. They're unhappy because they're unhappy. Because this world cannot provide them with the happiness that they want. The only way to be truly happy in this world is to know that your true happiness is not in this world. And so in the Beatitudes, Jesus is calling us to trust Him and to follow Him and to live a life that reflects His life. Because look, who is it that is the true and perfect embodiment of these Beatitudes? There's the key. Jesus Christ is the one who really lived the Beatitudes. He perfectly embodied them. Wasn't he poor in spirit, humble before God, humble in obedience unto death on a cross? Didn't he mourn over the sin of this world, the sin which nailed him to the tree? Wasn't he meek, gentle, and kind? although he was almighty and all-powerful? Didn't he hunger and thirst for righteousness, even to the point of offering himself up for the sins of the world? And wasn't he merciful even to those who crucified him? He was the only one who was truly pure of heart, and he is the great peacemaker between God and man, and he is the one who was faithful unto death, the persecuted one. You see, he lived the Beatitudes. He did it. And after they killed him, he rose again. That ought to be enough for us. His word can be trusted. He knows what he's talking about. 
He is the king of the king of heaven. He gives his kingdom to those who trust him, who follow him and rest themselves in his mercy. He is the one in whom all of the Beatitudes are perfectly fulfilled. And he is the one whom we can trust as we seek to live the life of the Beatitudes. Because he is the one alone in whom our eternal happiness is found. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the word of truth which comes to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name that you will bless this word to our hearts and minds and enable us to live as the children of your kingdom to the glory of your name. Amen.